Thank you, John. Thank you, Joe. Uh, I'm going to read the, uh, the start of the reading again because Joe started in the wrong place. <laughs> we start in verse 11, but that's fine. I'll just read those two verses. So it's uh, Mark 8, verse 11, which just says, The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus to test him. They asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. And then he left them, got back into the boat, and crossed to the other side. Well, uh, my name, as, as, as John said, uh, my name's Stephen. I'm here as a worship pastor. I lead worship uh, pretty regularly um, most Sundays. Uh, and uh, the question today is, how do we see Jesus clearly? How do we see Jesus clearly? In this passage in Mark, uh, we find ourselves in an incredible situation where a man from Nazareth uh, is stirring up a huge amount of interest and disruption. Hundreds of people, and suddenly thousands of people, are beginning to follow him around the countryside to see if he can speak to them, see if they can hear him teach. People are searching him out to heal themselves and their families. It's beginning to cause a scene everywhere he goes. He's casting out demons on the street. He's preaching in the synagogues a new message that's capturing people's attention. It's disrupting and disturbing the status quo. And the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the time are getting more and more nervous because this huge movement is is starting and the following that he's building and the fact that no matter how hard they try, they cannot control this man. There are also these 12 men that seem to always be around Jesus. They're following him everywhere he goes, his friends, his disciples, men that never leave his side. And these are the guys that get an inside look at everything that Jesus is doing. The biggest miracles, the most complex teaching, they see right in front of them. They hear the description and the explanation afterwards. But by the time we arrive in this passage, these 12 men have already seen Jesus cast out several demons, They've seen him heal a myriad of people. They've heard teaching that they can't even understand. They've seen him feed 4,000 and then 5,000 people. And they've even seen him stand up in a boat and command clouds to be silent and winds to become still. But in the middle of all this, there's still a gap. Not the disciples, not the crowds following him, and not the Pharisees know who this man is. So when we get to the start of this reading in verse 11, we see the Pharisees come and do something they've already done before. They've come to question Jesus, to test him, to ask for another sign from heaven. And Jesus' response is, as we read, a deep, deep sigh. And then the question, why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign is going to be given to it. And in this exchange, we're hearing both Jesus' compassion and his frustration. In the original, te- in the original language, uh, this deep sigh is translated as a sort of deep sigh that comes out of the very guts of who Jesus is, almost like a soul cry. It's actually, he's incredibly sad and distressed that these Pharisees are coming and asking him this question. He wishes they wouldn't have to. He wishes they wouldn't have to. He wishes they would believe because the fact is, The Pharisees have all of the evidence. 
It's their job as religious leaders to study the text, to study the, what we call the Old Testament. And they know that the entire Old Testament is leading up to this promised coming Messiah who's going to come and set Israel free, who's going to come and bring a new kingdom and rule uh, in a new way. And yet when they see Jesus, when they see this promise being fulfilled in their lifetime, in their own vision, they can't accept it. And that prompts Jesus in the very next verse as he rides away across the lake again, just with his disciples, just saying, watch out, you guys. Just to his friends, to his 12, watch out, you guys. Be careful of the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Yeast was seen a bit differently back in the day. We see it as something that makes bread swell. They would have seen it as a negative thing. They weren't allowed to eat yeast. It was part of their Torah, part of their law. Uh, and when yeast catches a bit of dough or a bit of food and it makes it swell, it spreads slowly through the entire batch and fills up the entire thing so that none of the bread or none of the food that they have becomes edible. It becomes all inedible. So it's like an infection that grows and spreads. Uh, the decisions that the Pharisees have been making, day by day, small ones, week by week, maybe slightly larger ones, and year by year, some of the bigger decisions, are creating them in them a spiritual infection. As the Pharisees live, they have power and prestige, wealth and social standing in abundance. They're seen as the, 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 the knowledgeable, the upper-class citizens of society. And bit by bit, relying on this scripture, relying on this way of life, they've become reliant on comfort, on career, and on wealth, and on social standing. Bit by bit, these things can eat into them until eventually one day, even though the very truth, the thing that they study, study for, the very thing that should have caused them all the joy in the world, all the celebration and dancing, the law of God fulfilled in their seeing, they can't accept it. They refuse to believe it. They try to get rid of it. They try to kill the man who is the fulfillment of their entire belief. All because they can't let go of what they've got. If you imagine with me for a moment, uh, there's a homeless man uh, sleeping in Chiswick, and, uh, and I decide that I can buy him a house. I've got the means to buy him a house. And I go to this man and I say, get up, come with me. I've bought you a house. I've furnished it. I've cleaned it. It's ready for you to move into right now. Come. And he says, thing is, I've got this cardboard box. And I made this cardboard box with my own hands. And I live here. And I say, well, leave the cardboard box. There's a house waiting. No, I can't give up this cardboard box. This is my cardboard box. I made this cardboard box. And that's exactly the spiritual infection that Jesus is talking about. It's what the Pharisees have. They've made this way of life for themselves that's a little bit comfortable and a little bit feeds them on the inside. And when the real truth, the real treasure comes along, they can't accept it. They can't let go of the cardboard box. Is there anything in your life that you hold on to that Jesus has asked you to let go of for his sake? Uh, this last week, just gone, was half term. And... Uh, and uh, sorry, I feel like I'm leaning, actually. Anyway, whatever, it's fine. I'm just going to deal with it. It was, it was half term. And, uh, and 
for a couple of years, I feel like God's really been telling me, speaking to my spirit and convicting me, really, go outside and talk to people. Go outside onto the green, onto the street, and just talk to people about me. Talk to them about Jesus. Talk to them about this truth that's come, this gospel news. And it is a horrible thing. I don't know if you've ever tried to just talk to people and start a conversation out of nothing. It's very difficult, and I am terrified of that. But I decided this half term, I sort of made myself accountable and said, we are doing this, um, and we're doing it every day, Monday to Friday, and we're going to go out and talk to just two people a day. I set my sights so low. And um, we finally went out. And I tell you, in the half hour before every time we went out, it was the worst of my life. Um, I was so tired in that half hour. I was so exhausted. and I was so scared of walking up to a random stranger and saying, hello, uh, can I talk to you about our Lord and Savior? Um, But every time, every time, Jesus came through in an amazing way. I I sort of like felt like I was presenting to the Lord some sort of corpse that was just going to walk around and stand in front of people until he gave me the words to say. Um, And occasionally it was like that. But as soon as I'd said, Hi, do you mind if I ask you a quick question? Something happened and there was a peace that came and filled my spirit. Uh, and, uh, and Jesus often just opened the way for those conversations. Um, I spoke to 18 people. Um, I prayed for 12 of them. Uh, people were asking me to pray that they would have their eyes opened to see the truth that week. Um, People, people, I had conversations with people where they said to me, uh, I, can't, I can't know God. God's not, not a knowable God. It's not possible. Um, you know. And I was able to say, actually, that's why he came. That's why he came. That's why this Jesus character lives. And it's amazing what happens when we step out. And we and the disciples are very much in the same boat. We don't understand who this Jesus is very clearly, always. In the next verses, uh, Jesus is in the boat with his disciples, and they don't understand this teaching that he's just said, beware of this yeast of the Pharisees. They don't understand the concept of this spiritual infection. Um, They think he's talking about bread. Um, They're very confused. Uh, And we're like that. We're just like that with 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 the way we see Jesus. What does he do? He asks them questions. Well, don't you remember the 4,000? Don't you remember the 5,000? What happened when there was no bread? Uh, he's trying to remind them desperately of who he is, the truth of who this Jesus is. Because Jesus lived in the opposite way to the Pharisees. How do we live in a way that stops spiritual cancer and makes it work backwards? His life mar- marks out the road for a Christian. We may look and see that every other person is living this life trying to fill themselves, avoid pain, and be happy. We may stand in the midst of temptation and despair in a world filled with traps and temptations and pitfalls. And our job as Christians is to stand and say, not my will, but yours be done. When we fix our eyes on God and live for him alone, saying, Lord, you're my comfort, and Lord, you're my companionship when I'm lonely. Lord, you're my everything. I trust you with the things I need because I'm giving everything to you. When we make those decisions over and over, day by day, small decisions day by day, bigger decisions week by week, the biggest decisions year by year, to trust God's plan at the risk of our own comfort.
then we find one day that the kingdom of God has grown in our lives and makes every other thing look insignificant. There's a, a story Jesus tells just a couple of chapters earlier in Mark about the kingdom of God being like a mustard seed that you plant. It's a tiny, tiny seed, but when it grows up, it's the biggest plant in the garden. As we make decisions that feed that seed, that grow the seed, that let's commit to that, we'll look up one day and see that that tree is the biggest in the garden and all the things that used to tempt us, used to trap us and make us fall into pits, those things look insignificant compared to this amazing, gigantic tree that stands in the middle of the garden. That's the kingdom of God and it's what we're living for. There's a couple of practical things this passage lays out. How do we see Jesus clearly? Uh, Jesus asked the disciples questions. Who, who am I? Who am I? Don't you remember what I did that last time? And it's really important for us. There's something about the human brain that forgets what Jesus has done. It's really important that we write down the things that we know God has done for us and reread them regularly enough that we remember and have faith from the past for the future. Remember what Jesus has done in the past so we have faith for what he'll do in the future. And secondly, we read at the end of this passage, Jesus heals a blind man. He heals him in two stages. Uh, the first time he sort of prays, uh, the man can see like shapes and some light, but not clearly. So Jesus prays again, and he can see clearly suddenly. And the sense I get is that if we want to see clearly, we've got to encounter Jesus. And if we want to see clearer still, we've got to encounter Jesus again. And if you want to see clearer still, we've got to encounter Jesus again. As Christians, it's not possible to walk in this world uh, without falling into the pitfalls if we don't have a clear view of who Jesus is. Let me pray to finish. Lord, thank you that you died on a cross, living in the absolute opposite spirit to that of the Pharisees, where they were selfish and tried to build their own lives. You gave yours up for the sake of us. Lord, I pray that we would live in that spirit that you'd fill us with your Holy Spirit to make those decisions that lead us to the kingdom and to you. Lord, I pray that you'd remind us of who you are and what you have done so we can trust you for the future. And Lord, I pray that we would encounter you again and again to see you clearly. In Jesus' name, amen.